If you got your Bibles, you can turn them to Colossians chapter 3 because we're going to read our theme verse. And I want to start out with that and then we'll get into our, our message. Colossians 3 verse 1. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on, on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Again, reading that each week and just reminding us of, of what uh, we should be doing as the people of God, setting our minds, setting our thoughts, setting our cares on heavenly things. It's real easy to get pulled down and care only about um, earthly things, right? Especially this time of year. I think that there is a temptation. I think there is a pull, a tuggle, a tuggle, a struggle. A str that's a combination of a tug and a struggle, all right? A tuggle. Um, but there's this, this tug of war, this struggle with uh, what we are celebrating this time of year, right? We're, we're moving in now to the Christmas season. Praise God. Thank you, everybody, who came up here and decorated uh, yesterday. Praise the Lord for that. It was a good job. So thankful for them. And, uh, but we, we have this, this tug of war because there's all this, these thoughts and, and cares and, and worries, and uh, it, it all gets mixed into. Uh, buying all these things for Christmas, which, you know, we enjoy gifts. We enjoy the time to share gifts and, and all those things. Uh, but the, the, the whole reason why we celebrate this time of year is the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth and lived a sinless life. He died on a cross and paid the penalty for our sins. Not any sins he committed. The Bible says that he knew no sin. And there was nothing that he did worthy of death, yet he took it on our behalf he was put in a grave. Three days later, he rose again. And we celebrate the fact that God so loved the world that he gave, that Jesus Christ actually came. And so this time of year, I love it. I love that we, we decorate. I love that we celebrate, that we make this conscious effort to say we're so thankful that God loved us enough to send Jesus Christ on our behalf. And so I, I want to continue to remind you of that this season. We're going to keep talking about it, how, uh, how amazing, uh, amazingly blessed we are to be able to freely gather and worship the Lord. This year we have a, a special time. Uh, we get to actually celebrate our Lord's coming to this earth on the day that we gather as his people, on Sunday. There, there, I, th I don't think there's any better way to celebrate Christmas than gathering together and worshiping the God who came to give us the opportunity to celebrate Christmas. Uh, I hope that you'll, you'll be, make plans to be here for that. Uh, but it's, it's going to be a, an all-month-long celebration. This week, we're going to uh, kind of finish this. We're going to do uh, the end. We're not finishing the whole study, of course, but we're going to do the end this week. And then as we move into December, uh, we're going to have uh, four full weeks of uh, preaching about Christmas. And I think it'll be great for you to be here for that. But last week, we saw some fundamental truths about the end times. We looked at the Olivet Discourse uh, that Jesus gave and we hopefully determined what some of these fundamental truths were. Again, not, not in great detail, but on a basic level. Um, we saw some things that Jesus said about the end, uh, some things that have happened, some things that are currently happening, we believe, and obviously some things that, that are yet to happen. And this morning, I want to continue on to investigate the, these fundamental truths. If you were here, we talked about some of the foundational things uh, about end times, some kind of established some of the the lingo, if you will, and some, some thoughts and views and, and ways to, to look at prophecy in the end times. And then now we've kind of moved into these fundamental truths and talk, talking about 
what it actually looks like, what the end times look like. And so I want to do that this morning and look into some of the indicators of the, those points from last week. And primarily what those, those points and those indicators and how they apply to us today in our lives. Because that's, of course, the, the applicable part of it. So uh, what things are happening, things that we can identify, and namely this morning, the condition of the world. So I want to break down some of these, these fundamental truths and we're going to start off with looking at the people uh, in the end times. And we, we kind of touched a little bit on this, on the foundational truths, uh, the crisis at the end. But we're eventually going to get to uh, fundamental truths about places and events about the end times. Uh, we get to the future hope, things that, that are yet to happen. We're going to talk more about the people, places, and events that are yet to come. Uh, but this, this morning, we're going to continue on in this, looking at these fundamental truths. And last week we saw Matthew chapter 24, verse 37, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. All right, so this is what one of the indicators we can look at. And specifically, we're talking about people because he says, for as in those days before the flood, they, talking about the people, the world, were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Again, it's talking about the people. And it says, and they did not understand, what didn't they understand? They didn't understand the warning. They didn't understand the condition. They didn't understand what ju judgment was coming upon them. They didn't understand until it actually happened, until the flood came and took them all, took them all away. And listen to what he says, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now Jesus told us uh, very clearly here that his return would be just like the days of Noah. Then he explained this, again, we just read it, by telling us what people were doing. So the people, the world, the culture, mankind would be preoccupied. It's evident, and it was clear then. They were preoccupied, not with serving and glorifying God, not with seeking God's face, not with, not with sacrificing for the Lord and being in Him. They weren't preoccupied with that. They, they were preoccupied with their own lives. And we see that they were obviously fixated on this world. And so here's, here's a, one of those indicators. Here's one of the things that we have to look at. We see the people, the condition of the people before the return of Jesus Christ was just like the days of Noah. And the people were just given over to living for themselves and for this world. And when the world does that, right, when, when people who are far from God, who are separated from God, who don't have a relationship with God, when the world does that, it, doesn't, it shouldn't be a marvel to us. We see people in the world who are lost, who are not saved, who are not going to heaven when they die, when they are living for money and when they're living for themselves, when they're living for their family, when they're living for their friends, when they're living for their stuff, when they're living for their entertainment, when they're living for their sports, when they're living for all those things, when the world does that, for us, we should not marvel. Because basically that would not really separate any other era of time in the world from any other time. You look at the world, we're lost, and the lost are going to live like lost people. But I think a good indication is when those who profess to be in Christ look a lot like those who are not in Christ. It says that they, the world, the condition of the world was that they were just preoccupied with the world, their own lives. We could actually say it's probably a condition that would be the opposite of what we just read in our theme verse. They're not setting their mind on things above. They're not living as if they are in Christ Jesus. They're, again, living for themselves. 
And so I believe we see at least one indicator of the condition of mankind, and we can see it in our current state, sadly. And it's this point number one. People have a preoccupation with the world, the flesh, and sin. It's point number one in your notes, and, and I think it's so important for us to, again, distinguish the fact that we, we know that lost people are going to be preoccupied with the world. It's what they're living for. The, the lost, those who are separate from Jesus Christ, they're going to be living for their flesh and to please their flesh because they are at enmity with God. They're going to be living in sin because the Bible says before Jesus Christ, we're slaves to sin. And so again, it's no marvel that we see these things going on. You say, well, that, that doesn't make us any closer to Christ's return than a decade ago or, or 20 years ago. Is anything wrong with what we read in Matthew chapter 24 here? They were, if you look at it on the surface, you see, well, they were, they were eating and drinking. I mean, they were living life. I mean, everybody's got to eat food and drink water, and everybody's got to, I mean, we're supposed to still marry and be fruitful and multiply. I mean, it doesn't seem like on the surface that they were living wrong there. What was the problem with the people in Noah's day? Was it just the fact that they were going about their daily lives eating and drinking and, and, and giving a marriage and being married and, and living life on this earth? I mean, isn't that what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to keep living our lives, keep day-to-day -day living. You know, we got to go to our, our job. We got to make money. We got to pay bills. We got to buy food. We've got to do the things in this world. I mean, what was wrong? Why did Jesus say it would be like the days of Noah when they were just eating and drinking and marrying and giving a marriage? What was wrong with those people and, and how does that apply to us today? Yes, they were living life. But namely, in living life, they were disregarding God and his message. And namely, his warning. They were living in sin. And not just sin, but they were living in a very clear state of idolatry as they disregarded God's Warning, Genesis chapter 6, verse 11 tells us the earth was corrupt in the sight of God. So it wasn't just the fact that they were going about their daily lives and living like normal people, but the Bible says that the condition of mankind was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. All flesh had corrupted their way on the earth, and so well, again, we see an indication of what's going on in our world. Can we say that, that we as a people, as mankind, that, that man on this earth is, is more righteous, is closer to the Lord? Are we moving closer to a, 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 a more righteous state? Or are we 10 years later, from 10 years ago, do we seem like we have slipped even further into unrighteousness is it does the sin and, and unrighteousness does it seem to be even more exalted in our day and time than it was 10 years ago we'll go back 20 years ago what about then some of you've been around for 30 years 40 years 50 or 60 years i think that we can agree there have been things that have just been absolutely uh unacceptable 50 years ago 60 years ago but compare that to what's going on today 
And we could talk about the, the, the advent and the, the, the progress of technology and how you have access. So yeah, but some of this stuff was going on. You just didn't know what was going on because we have technology now. We've got the internet, we've got TV, we've got cable, we've got you know, all these things, social media. And so these things were going on. It's just now you know they're going on and they're being able to be plastered. Is that not also an indication of the exaltation of unrighteousness? Maybe. I mean, I believe so. We're told in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, that Noah was a preacher, a herald of righteousness. It says that he, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, by faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world. So in preparing hit the ark for his household and being rescued it would be a judgment to the world and became heir of righteous of the righteousness which is according to faith first peter chapter 3 verse 19 tells us this in which he in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who once were disobedient when the patience of god kept waiting in the days of noah during the construction of the ark in which a few that is eight people were brought safely through the water we, we consider all these things that are going on. We see what Jesus told us about the end. And there's no doubt that we're living in a world that has been infected. And not only has it been infected, but I believe the world has infected the church. And as it has infected the church, it has drastically affected the church. Not as much as the opposite. I think that you can look in church history and see there have been times that the church, no doubt, has affected the world, the culture, the nation, the, the community that it's been in. There's, there's no doubt church history tells us that. I believe that, that some of you have probably been a, a part of movements and times where you saw the church affect the community that, was, that it was in. And now I believe it's more prevalent, it's more prominent to see the world affect the church of Jesus Christ in communities. I'm not saying that the church isn't doing good things, and I'm not saying that there's not areas that are still doing it. But I believe that we're living in a time in the world, the state of the world, where the church, the people of God, have been affected by the world more than the church affects the world. Again, there's been times that it's been the opposite. And I believe that there are places in this world right now, going on right now, where the church is doing so. I believe that, that you could go and travel to some places that you would be completely surprised that the church had such an impact that it was having. But what do we see even in our nation, in our community? So I, I believe what has happened is we've got really comfortable in this world as the people of God. Much like what was going on in the days of Noah, the people were just living their lives and in living their lives for themselves and for sin, they had become corrupt. So I believe even for the people of God today, and specifically in the American church, so much has been sacrificed on the altar of the world. I believe that, that and we can say no, it hasn't, but I believe it has, and, and I believe this is indicative of the end times. I read a, I'm reading a book with a, with a young man in our church, and uh, part of that book says this. Nothing is killing the family anymore today 
than people living improper and imbalanced lives because they believe their kids will be the next Michael Jordan, Joe Montana, Mia Hamm, or Carrie Underwood. Spiritual wisdom has been kicked out the door of Christian family homes as they follow their kids through life. He's talking about ministers. He says, minister, get a grip, get perspective, and give your people some perspective. He said, I love play, I love recreation, I love sports. However, it is far down on my priority list. It will never make it above the priorities mentioned above, which was God and family. Luke chapter 17, verse 22, he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. When they they will say to you, look there, look here, he, do not go away, do not, go, do not run after them, he said. For just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. This is how it's going to happen. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. Again, a reference here. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. There's another example. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out of, from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven to destroy them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who is on the housetop and his goods or in his house must not go down and take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, there will be two in one bed, and one will be taken, and the other left. There will be two women grinding at the same place, and one will be taken, and the other will be left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken. The other will be left. And answering, they said to him, Where, Lord? Where is this going to happen? Where, where do we need to be looking? He said to them, where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. We talked about this a little bit last week. It's going to be obvious. Uh, again, Jesus said, just like when you know there's a, a, a dead body, how do you know where the dead body is? You look where the vultures are, and they'll give you a, It's going to be very clear where he is and, 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 and when it's happening. There's no surprise. Again, when we read things like, like this, Noah, the days of Lot, they were living their life. They were living in sin. They were living for this world. We read things like that, and there's no surprise. When there is those who are separated from Christ have no love for him. It's no surprise that those who are separated from Christ have a greater love for the world than the things of God. However, when there are so many who profess to be joined with Christ, and their apparent love for him. And I want you to really do a self-evaluation in this. Their apparent love for Christ looks more like if I have time and there's nothing else I'd rather do, then I'll be their love for him. And there's got to be a very close look at the, into the condition of man. We've got, to, we've got to evaluate if, if the people of God who profess to be the people of God, that their love for Jesus Christ isn't very apparent, isn't, doesn't supersede every love that they have 
on this earth, including themselves, including their family, including their stuff, if the love for Jesus isn't so apparent that everything else looks like hate, because that's what Jesus said, and the further we go down that road, then we've got to really pay attention. Man, something's happening. Like either there's going to have to be a revival in, in the church, and specifically a revival in the church in America, or we are really, really, really knocking at the door according to what mankind is in the end time. Again, for those who are separated from God still, whether it's through out outright rejection or even through a denial that they're not truly surrendered, there's an affinity for this world. There's a love for the things of this world. The, the people of God who profess to love Jesus seem to have a greater love for the world at times. Why do we love the world? It's given us nothing important. It's given us nothing eternal. The world is passing away, is what Jesus said. But we are so infatuated with the world. Why do we struggle as the people of God with, with being involved and, and, and consumed with things of this world? We all can be guilty of it. We can, we can just get consumed, right? We get busy. We have stuff. Like I said, around this time of year, Christmas time, what, what does it become about? We, we say every year, it's, it's, it's very novel words. I mean, not novel, just uh, very uh, nice words to say. Uh, Jesus is the reason for the season. We're all the reason we celebrate Christmas. But what do we end up making it about? Not Jesus. For me, and I think for others too, it seems that with everything that happens in our world, the love for the Lord's return in this world, this world to be over, increases. I, what I mean by that, every time I see an article that comes out, every time I see something more vile than the next, every, every time I, I, I hear of something tragic happening, you know what it causes me to do? I think the same thing it does for some of you. It causes me to long for the Lord to come back. And I just, it, you know, it, it, at the same time, it just gives me more and more of a disdain for the things in this world. I, I just think, man, I just, I don't even like this. This world is, it's getting old. It, it's, 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 it's getting tiresome. I, I, I get tired of this where you again you see what goes on you see people getting hurt you see all the stuff going on and you just get tired of this world and and it's like man i cannot wait for jesus to happen I mean, jesus return to happen i, I just want to ask you is is that where you are i'm not saying i'm perfect in that i'm not saying i'm holy now but i think for the people of god that's what happens the further we go in this life and prayerfully the closer that we be, uh, get to jesus christ the more we long to see him the less we want to be in this world the more we want to be with him is that you or are you like man no i really want to keep doing this in this world i want to look at another indicator this morning second peter chapter 1 verse 19 so we have a, the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made 
by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Verse 1 of chapter 2, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly induce, uh, introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. Because of these false teachers, the way of the truth will be hated. Again, I think that's be obvious in our world today as well. Because of the false teaching, there are so many people that say Christians are a joke because of false teaching. People say, well, Christianity, it's weird stuff. You got all the hooping and hollering and all this kind of stuff. I'm not saying that getting excited about Jesus is, is false teaching. I'm not, don't take that away. There, there's just so much confusion that's out in, the, in, in, in the, uh, the false teaching and the false prophets that are out there. But it says this, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Amen. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Judgment still awaits them. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them in pits of darkness, reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of ungodly. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, and having made, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deed, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation, from tribulation, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the flesh, in its corrupt desires and despise authority, daring, self-willed. They knew not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in mind and power do not bring a reviling, uh, reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed, suffering wrong as the wages of, of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, re, uh, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse, you, carouse with you. Having eyes full of adultery, they never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaken the right way, right way. They have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are springs without water and mist driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by flesh the desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption for by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Let me read that again. By what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to even have known the way of righteousness than to have known it 
turning away, and to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. I say, man, why do we read all of that? What are we talking about? We're talking about the condition of men in the end time. And we're talking about what's going on in the world as, as a prelude to Christ's return. And specifically how it applies to us today. What's going on that you and I can observe in mankind and say, wait a second, this looks a lot like, or it sounds a lot like, what the Bible says Jesus said would be going on before he returned or when he returned. One of those things is we already talked about. People are preoccupied with sin and the world and the flesh. I mean, it's, it's, it's evident. The lost is doing it. Sadly, I believe that many people who profess to be Christians, who show up to church on Sundays, they are doing it. But this is something else that is, is indicative. They're not only false religions, but there are also so many false prophets in the world that consider themselves to be Christians and that the world considers to be Christian. And they're not Christian at all. There are, there are those false religions out there, there's false teachers out there who teach and deny the deity of Jesus Christ. There are those who, who claim to be Christian. There are the, those who the world views as Christian and, and they, they deny the inerrancy of Scripture. That means that Scripture is without error. There are, there, there are people out there who have YouTube channels and, and are broadcast on TV who have churches and, and they say that they're Christians, yet they deny the, the inerrancy of Scripture. There are false teachers and false prophets out there who deny that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And they, they have thousands of people follow them. They have thousands of people listen to them. There are false, there are false prophets out there that, that preach and teach. And I promise you this, you, there are some people in this room that might be listening to some of these false prophets and you have no idea that they deny salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. I pray there's not anybody in here, but the chances are really high because some of the people are really, really popular. There are those who are false teachers who deny commands to live holy. Rather, they teach doctrines of demons. You say, whoa, there, there are people who claim to be Christians that have pulpits, that have channels, that broadcast to TV, that are really popular and have millions of followers. There's people that, 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 that they, instead of teaching what God's word says, they teach doctrines of demons. What kind of doctrines of demons? Doctrine of demons like this, that teach that you can live like the world and you should live like the world and still be a follower of Christ. I don't know if you heard what I said, but they teach doctrines of demons that you should live like the world and you can still be a follower of Christ. They say that you, you should talk like them. You should go where they go. You should, you should dress and live and everything. You should do everything that lost people do and you can still be a Christian. Now, they may not come out in the pulpit and say it just like that, but they cloak it in so many pretty words, just exactly what Peter said. They make it sound really, really good. They make it sound, man, yeah, that's what we should do. Man, we don't need to show up at church. You know, you know we, yeah, we don't need to do that. I, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the bar. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go here. I'm going to do this. This is what we should be doing. We should live it like them. And again, they don't necessarily say that all the time. Some of them actually do. And some of the churches actually go together. 
it's hard to call them churches. They're not even churches. But they teach these doctrines of, of demons. You, you can live like the world and you should live like the world. It's okay. You said a prayer, you're going to heaven. And they forget the plethora of Scripture, like what we find in 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. They disregard scriptures like that. They disregard scripture like we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, 16, because it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. They disregard scriptures in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership does righteousness and lawlessness have? Or fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I'll be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch the, what is unclean. I will welcome you and I'll be your a father to you. You should be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Number two in your notes is this. People are paying close attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. What's going on in the end times? How does it apply to us? What are people doing? People are preoccupied with sin, with flesh, the world. People are, are, are increasing in that. But the other thing that we see in Scripture is that people are paying close attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Again, the world is going to do that. And the world is going to be led astray by these false teachers. The world is going to, you know, prayerfully that they hear sound doctrine and they get they get saved. But here's where it get, gets dangerous is when people who profess to know Jesus Christ start listening to these deceitful spirits and these doctrines of demons and it affects the way they live or don't live for Jesus Christ. First Timothy chapter four, but the spirit explicitly says, let me hear this said, the spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith. Listen to what it says, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Again, what's going on in the end times before Jesus returns that we can identify? He says, the Spirit explicitly says, that in the latter times, some people will fall away and they're going to be paying attention to the deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons that are so prevalent. By means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from food which God has created to be gratefully shared in those by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you'll be a good servant of Jesus Christ, constantly nourished in the words of faith and of sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. Why is it old women? kidding on the other hand discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness for bodily discipline and bodily exercise is only of little profit but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance for it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things, he told Timothy. A clear sign that we are living in the end, a very clear sign, is that false teachers are so abundant. As I said a while ago, 
Many people who even profess to be Christians don't even realize they're false, and there are so many of them. I've talked to people that I believe are saved. I said, oh, I was listening to so-and-so on my way to church. And I've had to have those conversations. Oh, please don't listen to so-and-so. Ah, oh, but it's so uplifting. Or, oh, so you get so excited about this. And please don't. False teacher. False doctrine. But it sounds so good. It's pleasing. I've seen this before. 2 Timothy chapter 3, but realize this, in the last days difficult times will come. I'm going to be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, and irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lover, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Right? This kind of goes into what we talked about in the first one. Lovers of pleasure, lovers of the world, the flesh, and sin, instead of loving God. Holding to a form of godliness, oh, they, they say the right things, they sometimes look the part, they hold to a form of godliness, although they've denied its power. It says, avoid these men. And again, it's specifically talking about false teachers, because it says, from among them are those who enter into households to captivate weak women, lay, weighted down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning, and yet never able to come to the knowledge of truth, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. They're men of depraved mind, reject and re rejected and regarded to the faith. But they will not make further progress because their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus and Jambres' folly was also. I'm going to close by this. Well, well, in light of this, in light of the fact that, that there's a preoccupation with sin, with flesh, and the world, and it's, and it's crept into the church, it's infected and affected the church, and, and there's so many people who profess to be Christians that, that go after things in the world instead of the things of God. There's so many people in the church who profess to be Christians who love the things of the world more than they love the things of God. In light of the fact that this seems to be increasing, in light of the fact that we see that in the end time that there's this, uh, this loving of, of deceitful doctrines and, and doctrines of demons and and uh, there's paying close attention to them. Again, people are turning their podcasts to them and watching their YouTube channels and, and listening to them on the radio. And, and, and there's this paying close attention to these, again, deceitful doctrines and doctrines of demons. And it's increasing and it's getting more prevalent. What is our call as the people of God in the midst of the condition of mankind in the end? If we're living among it and we feel like that we're getting even closer and we're, just as Jesus said, I'm knocking at the door if we feel like that, then what is our response? What, what is our call in the midst of it? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. I believe what Paul told Timothy is what I should do, what Brother Jeffrey, what other preachers and teachers should do. I believe it's what every Christian who's supposed to be holding fast to the form of, of sound doctrine, every Christian who should be proclaiming the truth in righteousness, every one of us, we should do this. Retain the standard of sound words, which you have heard from me, in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. What should we do? Four things, I think. Number one, we need to hold firm to sound teaching. Man, well, how do I know what sound teaching is? Get in the Bible. Get in God's Word yourself. Don't just listen to somebody on a podcast or on YouTube, or on the radio. I'm not knocking if you listen to sound teaching or sound teachers on those conduits. But don't just go there and listen to that without you yourself being in God's word. 
Get in God's word, get in prayer, get in right fellowship with the Lord. And then if you want to add throughout your days, sound teaching, you'll know who's teaching the truth. Hold firm to sound teaching. Number two, we need to avoid false teachers and teachings. So if you say, yeah, but I really like this guy or I really like this girl. Avoid it. The, the scriptures are very clear that the Christian is to avoid, not even go near, not even give attention to these false teaching and false teachers. Avoid it. He says, from such men avoid, avoid them. Number three, we need to passionately warn others of the judgment to come and the way of escape that's offered. Listen, church, please hear me. If you are falling more and more in love with Jesus, you know what ends up happening? You care more and more and more about what he cares about. You know what Jesus cares about? He cares about the the Father's glory. He cares about the glory of God. He cares about lost souls. You know what happens the more and more you and I fall in love with Jesus? The more we care about seeing people come to Jesus. That's why the things of God become more and more important to us. Man, gathering as the people of God, it's not only about hearing some guy stand on the stage and speak and, and read verses. It's, it's about gathering and encouraging. We're about to read about gathering and encouraging each other. It's about using gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to edify one another. It's, it's a command that God said, don't forsake. But not only that, but if you and I are falling more and more in love with Jesus every day, and we're having more and more of a passion for lost souls to come to Jesus, guess what we're going to be doing? We're going to be inviting lost souls to come to church and hear about this Jesus. We're going to be inviting people to, hey, you got to come and experience what we experience as the people of God. We're going to ha- and then guess what happens? Not only do we want to come here so that we're encouraging each other and using our gifts as we're commanded to do, but we're going to be looking for the people we've been inviting. So, oh, I, I, I never do that. Yeah. Man, you, you don't want to miss an, an opportunity. You have been inviting people all week long. What if that person shows up and says, hey, somebody invited me. Uh, they, they come to my store all the time, and uh, I just didn't say, oh, they're not here today. There's some other stuff to be doing. No. Oh. So that's how this following Christ thing works. Cool. And it, we need to passionately warn others, Right? How's it, how's it going to be effective? Can you imagine how effective Noah would have been if he was out there most of his days, most of his time, living like the rest of the world, and then just occasionally going and working on the ark and, and telling everybody, hey, you know what? I'm going to eventually get this thing done for God. Um, I like having fun with you guys. I like living for this world. I like doing all these things. And, uh, you know, God's eventually going to strike, his, strike this world with judgment. Uh, but, you know, we've probably got some good time. We, we could have some fun, and then we'll I'll get back to this in a, in a while. No, Noah had devoted himself to what God had called, and he was warning those of the judgment to come. That's what our life should look like. Our life should look like we are living for the Lord. We are, we are doing everything we can as we're warning others about the judgment to come in the only way of escape. That's what our life should look like. Because you, who do we identify in this narrative? In the narrative of Scripture, you got Noah and the rest of the world. Noah Noah and his family and the rest of the world. Who do we identify with? Prayerfully, Noah and his family. And not the rest of the world that was judged and destroyed. So what were they doing versus what they were doing? 
what should we be doing as it was in the days of Noah? As in the days of Lot, what should we be giving ourselves to versus what others do? And that goes to number four. We need to encourage and exhort one another. Encourage and exhort one another. That's what the Bible says in Hebrews 3.13. Encourage one another day after day as long as it's still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In Hebrews chapter 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And look what it says. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. How can I be an encouragement to my fellow Christian? How can I be an encouragement? How can I, how can I do what God has called me to do to, to my fellow church member? What am I supposed to do? We are to stimulate. We are to prod each other. We are to poke each other and, 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 and urge each other to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the some, habit of some, but encouraging one another. And we should do it even more so, all the more, as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. That's why you hear from me what you hear from me. Not, not only is it truth, but it, it's what we are told we should be doing. More and more, the closer we get to Jesus, the more the church should gather. The, the more faithful we should be together. The more we should be encouraging each other. The more we should be edifying each other. The more we should be prodding each other. The closer we see Jesus' return, we should say, man, I'm getting more tired of this world. I want more of his church. I want more of his people. Brother Tony is reading a devotion this morning. I'm going to close. He talked about how when, when we're leading in worship, there, there, there should be a, a way that we look at the church. Oftentimes we, we, we get into this thing of habit and routine, right? We just show up for church because it's what we do on Sunday. No, man. You, you know who's sitting in these seats? The treasures of Jesus Christ. This, what we're doing right now is not just something that we do out of habit. It's not just something we do because it's the, the religious thing to do. It's not just something we do because you have to if you're a Christian or you don't want to hear something from somebody who's going to ask you where you were. This is not why we gather. We gather, yes, because Jesus commanded, but we gather because we are the people of God. We're born again. That we are the treasures and we, God has given us gifts to use for one another. And this right here, what's going on this morning, is eternally important. You know how you see it like that? You fall more and more in love with Jesus. And the more you fall in love with Jesus, the head of the church, the head of the body, the more you fall in love with his body. And we've got a, we've got a lot of things to consider as the world is drawing to a close. But we need to make sure we're doing what we should be doing at the end. If you're here this morning, you say, man, I, you're talking about the end of the world. You're talking about judgment. You're talking about which side I'm on. I'm not positive that I'm on the right side. If Jesus were to come back right now, I'm not sure that I would spend eternity with him. If that's you this morning, or maybe something happens to you, hopefully it doesn't, but let's say you're on your way home and you're in a tragic accident and your life has ended this day. Let me ask you this question. Do you know where you spend eternity? And if you're here and you're like, man, I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity. And I'm begging you, you've heard the gospel this morning. Right off the bat, we talked about what God did. He loved you and he gave his son for you. 
And the only way you can have eternal life is through Jesus Christ. And I'm going to invite you this morning. We're about to have an invitation. And you've got people all across this front row. You can just simply come when, when our, our worship pastor begins to lead. You can come down here and, and grab somebody and say, Hey, I, this eternal life thing is serious. I, I want to know about how I can go to heaven. But please don't leave this place with questions. But for Christians, maybe we need to get serious with God this morning. Maybe we say, you know what, I, I've been loving the world a little too much. I've been loving the things in the world too much. As we enter into this Christmas season, I want to I have a renewed mind and a renewed heart. As we enter into this time of celebrating our Lord and Savior who came to this earth, I want it to be all about Him this Christmas season. We'll get to enjoy the time with family and we'll get to enjoy the gifts, and, but that will be kind of the auxiliary stuff. I want to draw closer to my Lord. I want to give him the worship and the praise he deserves. I want to honor him during this Christmas season like I never have before. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for what you do in our lives. And again, thank you for what you give us in, in, in your word. And as we think about the end times and we look at what you've told us, there's no doubt there are things that are increasing. And I don't, we didn't live in the days of Noah. We didn't live in the days of Lot. We can read your word and kind of get an idea of the way that people were. Um, and it looked really, really bad. And in some ways we can see and compare and say, well, we're, we're far from how bad it was then. Uh, but then there's other ways that we can look at it and say, maybe we're worse in some areas than they were then. Uh, regardless, I think that the commands that we have are clear. And so I pray that we would hold to your word and we would share your word and that we would encourage each other. And God, we just keep living our lives for you and that our love for you would increase more and more every day. I pray you just move now as we respond to this, this message and be glorified in the response in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as he sings, I'll invite you to come.